In case we accidentally start a podcast, I hit record. I don't know what exploring to the right is. I mean, I'm familiar with it as a gesture, but... Yeah, it's just, I just think that a certain part of the appeal of Mario is exploration. Mm, I see. Yeah, yeah. You just explore to the right. I see. Ex- like, linear exploration. Exploration on, on rails. Yeah, and it's not even rails, per se. It's just, you, mm-hmm. you know where you have to go, which mm. is to the right, mm. but you don't know what's there. Mm-hmm. And so there is a certain amount that, in Mario, you are exploring. Yeah, I think that's true. And, and that's the question of, well, I'm Will. I'm bright. Um, hey, we remember to do the first thing on the list. Um, and this is, is Side Quests, a podcast about video games. And game design. And, and plausibly other things. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and staying on topic. Yeah, we really try to do that a lot. And we seem to have, in our discussion about what we're going to talk about in our podcast, I felt that we had begun podcasting. I think that's true. Well, I hit record. <laughs> uh, I hit record because... We were going down a list of potential topics, but as a result, we started talking about each topic and about why it would be a good thing to talk about and why it wouldn't be a good thing to talk about. But yeah, so you were talking about exploring to the right in Mario and the idea of Mario being an exploration game. Yeah, I mean, it's not its primary thing. Its primary appeal is jumping on things and doing difficult jumps and timing your movement forward, but... Also, there is a certain amount of it where you are given a structure, and by the end of the first castle, the whole first little world section, you know what that is. You know the structure that's going to happen. You don't know how many times it's going to repeat. Right. You start the game, and it says 1-1 somewhere, right? Right. And you see how those that system yeah. relates. It goes up to 1-4. 1-4 being the first castle. And then you go to 2-1. And at that point, you, the player of Mario, go, Okay, I see how this goes. There's some levels. There's a castle. I'm going to repeat that a bunch of times. Right. And in the first four levels, you don't hit all of the possible kinds of things. But you, you get the sense that there are different kinds of things. Right. You go from the first level to the underground level. Um, right. And those are kind of... They're extremely different feeling places. Yeah. Um, and you're underground. Then you have that fantastic little music. And it's very different music. It's much sparser. Like The space is actually much sparser. And 1-3 is the trees. So you get this other type of level and and you do you have the flying fishes in that level or not I no guess. there are no flying fishes in that level but in i believe two two you're underwater and two three you have fishes and then you've hit everything right like, there's almost no new types yeah um there's new types of creatures right yeah you haven't hit a hammer brother or yeah um, uh, the cloud guy and spiky oh but, yeah spiky back Right. Lakitu and the other one. Right. Who I'm sure <laughs> had those names at that time. Um, they're probably in the manual. Like all of those names were. <laughs> oh man, we should find the, the manual um, for Mario 1. Yeah, so you're exploring to these and you go to these different places. And certainly novelty, like achieving novel spaces, is really cool. Mm-hmm. And the feeling of... Yeah, I don't have a strong memory of playing Mario. And here we're recalling the first several levels from memory. It's Right. So my, my claim that I don't have a strong memory of it is obviously not Uh-oh. good but yeah. i don't have a strong memory of the first playing i do because it was like christmas you know i was seven i think and my brother got the nintendo and i just sat there for in my mind hours and hours just playing the beginning of mario which was awesome yeah i have like a pretty strong memory of, of the opening of zelda yeah and, I, and that feel but i think that when you play mario for the first time and you haven't played a lot of other video games the first thing you feel is novelty about the first 
but. because you haven't really played video games and the controls are really tight and it just feels better to play that game than it felt to play a lot of other games. Yeah, we had an Atari as a kid in my house and I played a lot of Pitfall right. and Cubert and half of those games are wrestling the controller yeah and there's a fluidity to mario that's a little bit technological and it's a lot designed that just feels better than most of the contemporary games and i think this is like well acknowledged and there's a reason why mario is still around it's a really good game and you can't even go to the left <laughs> right and so there's this fluidity of control and there's this novel experience which is just jumping this this little guy around because the controls are more fun they're cleaner they're more fluid it feels more more physical um a number of arcade games of the era don't have parabolic jumps i believe donkey kong doesn't but don't hold uh, me to it no um, the jump in, in donkey kong is nowhere near yeah. as good as the jump in mario yeah um i think they are like you know you go up a certain mountain you go down a certain amount and that's just the way it is and you can change where you are in the your left right space you can change your x dimension while you're in midair in mario in mario and and, and not in a number of other things which, um, in a lot of ways, is crazy. Right, it's unrealistic. And, you know, one of the insights of Mario is that, who cares? Uh, well, see, I think that it is the abstraction of you being able to control how you jump. Like, if I'm jumping, I can apply a certain amount of force. I can aim for a spot. Right. And with a button, I'm using my fingers. I have to use my thumb to make sure that I go in the right direction. And I don't... There's no variability in right. how you push the button. Except Mario has added this in that you can control your left-right motion. And you can control how high you jump by holding down the button longer. Right. So it's adding control back into a system that strips out jumping control. Right. And, and in life, you have this enormous amount of control. And in video games, you know, you can create this control, but, but it has to be different control because you can't, you can't have the same control. Right. right. And so you'd have to add a, an equivalent amount of control for it to feel similar. Right. Um, but, but you don't have to mirror that control. Yeah. Abstraction is really important in games because of its non-perfect analog to the world also the fact that you are trying to make an experience happen at a particular time or you, over the this much shorter amount of time of playing it, it's like how rocky does a montage Mm -hmm. to get better at things right. because you as the audience want to experience what it's like to spend a long time getting better at something right. but if Rocky... but you definitely don't want to do that because it's hard and boring <laughs> right that's a lot of stairs that he runs up <laughs> yeah so you want to take a thing that would happen in the real world and simplify it somehow so that you get that experience without having to do everything yourself right what abstraction is right i mean abstraction is removing elements of things to draw attention to other elements and mm -hmm. calling some things unimportant and calling other things important and so we abstract this control scheme because we want you to feel like you're jumping this little guy around and you have control of mario and that's what it would feel like to be mario who is a brick-sized human in a two-dimensional mushroom land <laughs> And it feels exactly right, because that's 100% what it would be like to be a brick-sized human in the two-dimensional mushroom land. Trust me, we know. <laughs> um, and so the first experience of Mario, back to my original sentence, is, is novelty. You're in this weird place, and mm -hmm. you're this guy, and you're like, oh my god, what do I do? I can move this thing, alright. And, and you immediately identify with Mario. You immediately identify with the game and are like, I'm this little red-brown smear 
moving around to he's the a, right. He's a very tiny number of pixels. <laughs> yeah. And and it looked better on the TVs we played it on than it does oh, yeah. look on screens now. Yeah, I think it was like a 12-inch TV that I played most of the Mario that I've ever played on. Yeah, and all pixels on those screens were slightly curved, so everything mm. looked more organic and looked less pixelated. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the whole contemporary pixel art aesthetic is not what pixel art looked <laughs> like when we played those games. Yeah, um, it is really funny. I did play on an NES over Thanksgiving because I was at my family's house and did you also play on a CRT I didn't I played (laughs) on a giant LCD thing that has somehow made it into my parents house yeah only some of the experience it's funny because now I have read the internet unlike when it it was important so you did not blow in any cartridges I didn't I blew in zero cartridges this is a public service announcement don't blow into cartridges human breath contains moisture and moisture produces fungus and also oxidizing power over the leads on the little the, the contacts inside the end of the game human breath also contains everything that was in your mouth and everything that was in your mouth produces fungus (laughs) it's disgusting that's true the human mouth is pretty gross but don't use your mouth as a cleaning tool if you would like an alternative you could use alcohol and a q-tip to stick it in the end and rub back and forth and i was pleased to find out having done this myself recently that it does make the games playable in a way that blowing on them in no way does. And you get this, like, nice black Q-tip. Yeah, it's disgusting. And it's probably decades of blowing into it. (laughs) It's all the fungus that's grown on the end of the contacts. Yeah. There is a man who made a website with magnified photographs of the things that grow on an NES cartridge (laughs) if you blow in it. And he did a series of controlled experiments. And I... Saw it, like, years ago. I cannot reference it, but I recommend looking it up. (laughs) But alcohol on a Q-tip, like rubbing alcohol on a Q-tip, I don't know, you could use whiskey if you wanted, I guess, but I would think it's a waste of whiskey. It's darker, too. You're probably going to deposit something. Right. It might look cooler. Um, I don't know. Yeah, don't do use whiskey. Just use rubbing alcohol. Um, (laughs) So the other thing is the Mario games are well-designed. Right. In almost every respect. Right. Uh, All of them. All of them. Uh, And this means that as you go to the right, you will never run into exactly the same thing that you ran into before. Right. You might run into repeating things. There will always be something different. Unless it's one of those levels where you have to figure out the order that you go through the pipes in order to not be caught in the loop. Oh, or the that castle. What is it? The seventh castle? Yeah. Where you have to know which of the three ways to go to the right. Yeah. It's not so much a door. There's just like you can stay on the top or in the middle or in uh, the bottom. And you have to do them in the right order and there's only three of them so there's only so many possibilities but you can die a lot of times by running out of time uh before you figure that one out i i'm not sure that's a good castle yes well these things exist much like lost woods in Mm. zelda maybe exist to create a community of people talking about the game Mm. they probably weren't designed in that way but that's what they produced um, right because you'd just be in elementary school (laughs) and someone would be like did you get to that part you have to go you know up down up right Right. Like, oh, all right, cool. Or I got to this place. I have no idea how to get through it. I kept going and I died. I ran out of time every time. I could never beat that castle. Oh, I know. Or you could call the Nintendo Power 1900 hint line. <laughs> 
Um, right. As featured in The Wizard. <laughs> Which I never did, but I read a great article by some kids who, well, they weren't kids when they wrote the article. <laughs> some grown-ups who were kids who were hired to do the Nintendo Power Hotline, but they were hired like when they were 16 or something. Whoa. It was like a summer job. That's really funny. Or you could read the Nintendo Power. Yeah. Does that still exist? I would be shocked. I mean, and it probably exists in a digital form. Yeah. Maybe. We had the Nintendo Power for the original Final Fantasy that had yeah. everything. Yeah, it had, it had a really cool fold-out map. Yeah, it was the complete strategy guide before there were strategy guides. That wasn't right. really a thing. Yeah, I feel like Ninja Power probably created the idea of publishing strategy guides. Yeah. This may be why I know that game so well. I, I can almost guarantee it. I didn't it's own that game, but I looked at that strategy guide a lot mm. because... I had a Nintendo Power subscription, so I received it. Oh. And I just thought the game was so cool without ever having played it. It was. And then I played it, and it, in fact, was so cool. And we have talked a lot about it and, and its actual And coolness. in retrospect, it's also not that cool. Right. But And we've this has covered ground yeah. on this podcast. Uh, but I want to go all the way back to going to the right. Yeah. Because I think... I don't actually have a whole lot more to say about this, but I had one thought, which is that Mario constrains your progress, so you have to go to the right. That's true. Um, the first one. And you're exploring, because you do make choices about how you go to the right. Mm -hmm. And once you make a choice, it's gone. You can't go back. Oh, okay. And so you go in a pipe, and then you come out later in the level... And you'd have no idea what mm. was between the opening pipe and the ending pipe. That's true. And so, I mean, it demands replayability or mm -hmm. it demands replaying, you know, because you have to do that to see the rest of it. And, and I think that in general, at least in the first Mario, I think most of the pipes are skips. Yeah. Most pipes cause you to skip overworld stuff. Mm -hmm. I don't remember any places where you have a choice and you can either do a hard overworld thing or an equally hard but different in a pipe section hmm. mario 3 definitely has some of those because the idea of going in pipes to change where you're going well mario 3 uses the pipe thing way more than the first one does yeah there's a lot of them in mario 3 where the pipe takes you to underwater segments right or to whole other segments of level. There's that one castle where you have to go down into the bottom, which is also in water, and you have to get the mushrooms and the flowers and the leaves are all down in the bottom. Okay, yeah, yeah. And, by the way, we play Mario 3 annually, uh, as far through as we can make it, hopefully to the end, usually on Will's birthday. Yeah, so it's a well-known game. Yeah, we've done it, and so it's as fresh in one's mind that it can be for a game that came out on the NES. Yeah, so Mario 3 has some of these choices. Mario 1 does not have mm. any meaningful pipe choices, but you do still miss content, right? Right, miss is one way of putting it. One of the things about games in that era is that you are trying to get as much gameplay out of this cartridge as you possibly can right so they make things hard right and so skipping things isn't necessarily missing things right it's getting to the part that you're working on yeah you have a goal i mean and this is still true in games mm. and i know it's still that people still feel this way about games because they will spend money on microtransactions that allow them to skip content uh yeah but i think a lot of microtransactions what you're skipping is annoyance which they've built into the game so right it's arguably not that different and maybe what we're saying is that some of these early NES games had some annoyance built in mm. in the form of relatively arbitrary feeling difficulty 
Hmm. But at the same time, we as a generation contain a number of humans who clearly like that difficulty Mm -hmm. because we will buy games on Steam based on the premise that they are a throwback to that kind of difficulty. Yeah, they handle it very differently in the Mm -hmm. modern hard games than they do in the old games. Super Meat Boy is fantastic and super difficult. Right. And it's difficult in these really small, bite-sized challenges that you can try over and over and over again as many times as you want. Yeah. Checkpointing is a modern game design idea. Mm -hmm. I've never written a video game for an NES, but I assume there's no reason you can't just store the game state later to restart at a checkpoint. I assume it's not a technical problem. I assume it's a mm. it's a game design innovation. Yeah, well, they're also trying to get as much gameplay out of your game as possible. And these huge, sprawling worlds... I mean, Final Fantasy is really big, but, I mean, there's a really big coordinate system right. with that they've drawn the map for. It's just repeating these fights over right. and over yeah. and over every, again. There's a lot, they made a lot of empty squares, and every mm-hmm. empty square you step on has a 2% chance, or probably a more like 8% chance of having a fight. Huh. I guess every, yeah, every like 15 squares you walk on. I developed a superstition when I was playing the game that different terrain types had different encounter rates. Huh. And I developed the superstition, and looking back on it, I wouldn't be surprised if it was true. Because if I was a game designer, I'd I'd be like, yeah, you fight more things in the forest than the plains. Right. But I don't have any data to back it up. It was just what I thought was true. Right. (laughs) Samantha's asking us to do new things. (laughs) I guess I I don't believe that the content of the discussion is the description of the Mario level. It is the, you know, way that the feeling you get when you're playing Mario relates to a set of game mechanics. Okay. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think we might be done with discussing the exploration in Mario. Yeah, I think the takeaway is that exploration is thought of as a main mechanic in a lot of games, but in fact, the sense of discovery and novelty is pervasive in lots of games. It's certainly pervasive in early games where like games themselves were a thing that you were exploring Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but in general a game throws you in a place and you're like oh my god i'm in this new place i better i really want to figure it out and explore it and see new things and that's true whether you're going to the right whether you're shifting gems to make them be in you know certain patterns Mm. yeah there's also the idea that there's many possible places for you to go Mm -hmm. is not more exploration. I mean, it isn't maybe more exploration, but what's interesting is the ability to find new interesting things. Right. And even if it's linear and you're just going to the right, you're achieving the finding new interesting things, even if you didn't choose which way to go and where to find them. So it's not exactly the same way of exploration, but... It's as good in a lot of ways as far as bringing new novel content to the player based on their actions. Yeah, and and even if you think about the way that exploration is described in like game design talk or or game play talk, people talk about branching narratives. Mm-hmm. That's one of the the big options for nonlinear is branching. Mm-hmm. But in fact, branching is just a line. You right. are just doing a line yeah. of story. Yeah. Um, it's funny because you don't really have control over it. You have just picked something and you get right. a particular line at the end. Yeah, and it's like the game is good, the story is good if the choices you made and the line of story that you end up going through seem related to each other. 
and it's bad otherwise. Mm -hmm. But it's funny because it's not a non-linear story. It's, in Mm -hmm. fact, a linear story, you know, that you get to experience. You get to experience one of, like, a lot of linear stories. And I guess the, the big thought that struck me was that you also do that in Mario. And you do it by going down some pipes sometimes. Oh, yeah, that's um, true. There's not very many branches, and they all go back to the same spot in the end. But, but you're, you're still having a, this, you know, non-linear story experience. Right, but the way games work, that's almost always true. Yeah. Because you can't design infinite possibilities. Right, or you shouldn't. Um, yeah. Or, I mean, if you do, then they're not always going to be good. I mean, it's probably better to abstract it into something that you have decided, you know, is the right number of possibilities. Yeah, and actually, there are games that have infinite possibilities. And they are designed around that premise, and that's very reasonable. You know, you're roguelikes, and you can like or not like that genre, but the premise of the genre is unexpected things will happen, and sometimes they'll be terrible. Yeah. And maybe that's not the premise of the genre as it is today, but I, you know, I played a lot of the game Rogue, And you'd start that game, and then sometimes you'd just die. Because, in fact, you couldn't beat the first floor of the dungeon, because it was bad. Yeah, and I don't like roguelikes. And a computer made that level, and they didn't make it so that you could beat it. They just made it so that you could play it. Yeah, I don't really understand the value of the randomization in that. Like, I don't like roguelikes. I've played some number of them. I played this one called Pixel Dungeon on my phone a bunch of times. And you just go and hopefully you don't die. And I later more consistently got to deeper in the dungeon before I died. So there was some skill that I was building up. But sometimes you just die on the second level and it's not fun. It's not good. Well, yeah. And you you have to think about your your feeling of success and failure is not about an individual run. It's about an aggregate of runs. Yeah. Um, If you were playing poker, you wouldn't be like, well, shit, this is a stupid game. Sometimes I just lose the hand because you know that the game isn't the hand. You can think that. But if you think that you're making a fundamental mistake about what the game is. Yeah. The, the game of poker is playing a lot of hands and, you know, doing better statistically, you know, over time because of skills you have developed. I think poker's fine. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm not hugely into it or hugely anti-poker. But it's very different from, you know, other kinds of games because it's about this repeated process where you go through and... And, you know, card games in general, right? There's this sense where you you have this hand and you deal with it. Mm -hmm. Um, And one of the skills of poker is knowing when your hand won't work and stopping playing. Yeah, and I've played a lot of hearts. And there's a reason why that when the first person makes it to 100 points, which you can't do in one hand. Mm -hmm. It's how, who is doing the best over all of the hands? (laughs) Somebody can get zero points and then 25 points and then zero points and then 25 points. But if you just got one point each turn, you're going to end up winning that game, you know, for those those of you who don't know how hard it works, the lowest score wins when somebody gets to 100. Unless they're extreme circumstances. I, uh, yeah, you could get to 100 and everyone else could get to 101. Yeah. In which case, you would win when you got to 100. Well, yeah, well, I think that that's, um, I don't know. I mean, I think we have veered onto another topic, which is fine. It's not, you know, fundamentally related to the topic at hand. But That's okay. We That wasn't really supposed to be the topic for the whole podcast yeah. anyway. So what would you say the new topic is? Well, first of all, what has been happening, you know, over the last week or so? The news. Okay, um, so let's call this end of segment one. All right. And now we're in segment two, which is the news. All right. Uh, and so, no one needs to hear that. 
I feel like there's this law of podcasting. <laughs> I'm going to call it Bryce's law of podcasting, which is that if someone says I should cut that out, you it, leave it will in. end up in the final product. Mm. It's just guaranteed. You're, it's not guaranteed. You're going to cut that out, right? <laughs> You'll never know. So let's move on to the news, which is to say this is slightly confusing because we in fact recorded the Ludum Dare podcast after the last one. Oh my god. So the news that I have experienced is multiple weeks off and confused with relationship to the news you, our loyal listeners, have experienced. Well, I don't think they had any news last week, so no. it's probably fine. All right. So I'm actually still editing the Ludum Dar. No, the Ludum Dare one is out. So I am editing the one that you just heard, which uh, due to our rambling nature, I have yet to come up with a name for or what it was about. Uh, but you will know it as Thank. But luckily, you won't hear this until after you've heard that last podcast. Right. It's extremely unlikely unless Bryce changes his editing tactics. I'd have to change it a lot, like with a time machine. It'd be bad. (laughs) So I believe that I can behave as if you have heard the last podcast, even though you haven't yet when I'm saying these sentences. Uh, Yes. Great. You can behave that way. Yeah. And it will be true by the time anyone else hears this. So the thing about editing is it's like a time machine <laughs> in a lot of ways, which is good, but confusing sometimes. So we're going to give you news since the Ludum Dare podcast. Yeah. So we we did a game jam a couple weeks ago. We made a game in 48 plus, you know, some fraction of another 24 hours. Yeah. Um, I worked on it more or less all of the next day. And then you yeah, came in and that evening to finish it up. Yeah. It was fun. It was a game. The experience was fun. I believe that many people found the game to be fun. But they found the game to be fun given the low expectations of we made this game in... 48 to 72 hours. There's a common theme, which is that it's hard to control the starship yeah. while playing Which it. is crazy, <laughs> because that starship flies like a dream. <laughs> you of, can describe- of a delightful starship <laughs> that I like flying. Okay. You can personally all decide for your very own selves what kind of dream it is <laughs> that it flies like. Uh, I think we should tell people where they can go to play it. Oh, I agree. Uh, so you can go to partsandcrafts.org slash starbageman. Yeah. I'm trying to remember if there's any hyphens or anything. It's just partsandcrafts.org slash starbageman, which is S-T-A-R-B-A-G-E-M-A-N. And there's no hyphens or underscores or any shenanigans like that. That's um, good. There are no capital letters. I believe that case sensitivity is built into the, the spec for your web browser but most web browsers ignore it but no capital letters okay you can play that game in that game you will be a a sluggy kind of creature that flies a starship sometimes and sometimes moves garbage from place to place and sometimes moves garbage from place to place in a starship that's true and it's silly and fun and you may recognize the voice of the boss as me uh so i did some voice acting for it using this very same equipment actually it's not this very same equipment because we realized that the audio problems that we've been having are part of the recorder so i have a new one well i have a new old one that's the exact same model and so far no terrible problems yeah so we can assume we have definitively solved the problem because if a bug isn't reproducible it doesn't exist (laughs) so we made this game you can play it we've done a little bit of work on a post jam version yeah and one thing that's fun about doing game jam is a bunch of people play your game and they say your controls suck and you say yeah that's fair 
Um, <laughs> and they say, this part was neat. I like the voice acting. And I like the like sense of world building. And they're like, oh, that's interesting. That wasn't... The first review we had was somebody said, I gave you three and a half stars for the voice acting. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't sure what that meant. Yeah, I and then everyone else kept saying they liked the voice acting. I thought that maybe they just didn't like voice acting as a concept. They they thought voice acting was a bad idea. Right. So there's no other sound effects. It's just there's a character in it who is your boss. He becomes your boss in the opening of the game. And he tells you what to do and where to go and so on. He sort of is the tutorial. But he's kind of a jerk. He is a jerk. But he's the kind of positive attitude corporate jerk yeah. that you expect out of a training video. Yeah, I mean, it's not it's not as well written as Portal, but I think there's some Portal there. <laughs> yeah, and he's, I mean, he literally has horns yeah. and he's wearing a suit. It's all alien. Fun. And we had a lot of fun writing lines. I mean, I wrote a lot of the lines, but I would just say stuff and you would... Bounce back and forth. A lot of spitballing. Uh, right. uh, Which, you know, is not a process we're familiar with, but we made it work. <laughs> So sometimes it'd be like, I'll say it one way, and then we'll say it back a slightly different way, and repeat. And Actually, then... you know what spitballing is. I retract this whole segment. <laughs> it's cut it. It's not in there. No one heard it. But So we, we made this game, and it was really fun. It was really fun to make the game. Mm -hmm. And I was briefly jazzed about remaking the game and improving it. Mm -hmm. And then I became confused about it, because I said to myself, well, there's a bunch of code here that you wrote that's kind of crap <laughs> and you can try to finish this game on top of your crap code or you can rewrite the crap code to make a better game and then i said to myself i have no idea which of those two options i want to pick because mm. one of them will result in me quickly polishing a game a little bit mm -hmm. and the other will result in me slowly polishing a game a lot see i personally I'm a fan of both options in sequence. Yeah, no, I 100% I agree, but I was like jazzed and I started writing some code and I was like, oh my God, what am I going to do? There's this conceptual problem with the whole way that the data structure of the ship in particular and the garbage mm. holds of the ship is being stored. And it's being stored in like seven different places. What? And that's sort of an exaggeration, but I, it's not that big. It's not that big. Um, I sent you an email in the, so on the Monday, we still had time to work on the game and I was at home and I worked on it. And I sent you an email during the day being like, where is the code for when something happens? Oh, where is the code for where the garbage is? Right. Which is part of the fundamental state of the game. Right. You have to know where all of the garbage is within your ship, I think. It's a game about garbage. <laughs> yeah. Radioactive garbage. So knowing where the garbage gar is is a thing that every part of the game needs to know. Yeah. And I wrote some code over the course of, you know, a series of long days with, you know, not a lot of planning time. I wrote some code where I would store the same number in approximately four different places and just make sure that the four places agreed. <laughs> but then every code that interacted with that number had to change it in four places. And that's bad if you're a beginning developer and you're wondering. Yeah, if you're doing the same thing more than one time, you should do it one time and make find a way to make all the places that it's happening care about that one time you did it. Unless you have a very limited number of hours to work with and you yeah. can't spend the time to think about that right and so how much garbage you had was somehow in like the boss talking yeah it's in essentially every script yeah it was bad because it turned out to be the most important number right or and rather the most important set of three numbers 
And often what you do is just realize that you need to copy that number to somewhere else so you yeah. can use it for a little while and you just stick it there and keep yeah. writing code and well don't and the first back. time you copy it that's great you're saving some time you, mm. you're not rewriting something the second time you copy it you're saying i should have rewritten this the first time Fool but it'll, once. but it'll be faster to just copy it and then this <laughs> happens over and over again yeah so anyway we figured it out we got the game out the door which is good and I tried to organize my personal notes afterwards based on what people said and going back and thinking about what we had done. I spent a little time thinking about things we should fix that were in the current game and then a list of new features. And those are always fun to imagine with your brain. They are a lot yeah. of work each. So I sort of just wanted to get them out of my head write them down, put them on paper so that I don't have to keep thinking about them. Right. So it's actually extremely well documented that writing things down makes your brain work mm. and that your brain essentially is clogged with crap and that when you write it down, you can put the crap down. That's great. I'm glad somebody else agrees with me. So I would write it down like, oh, we should add this feature. Oh, we should add that feature. Oh, we should add quests. We should add other characters. Should add, you know, right. just yeah, more yeah. things like that. Stuff. That I have no intention of doing now. now. Right. And we'll come back to a lot of the reasons why we wouldn't want to do it now, but they mostly have something to do with the other game that we're working on. Right. And so, you know, I've worked on this 48-hour, 72-hour... I just can't remember. It's 72, right? 24 I'm times so 3. I'm so used to the 48-hour um, film yeah, ones that I, I just want to call it 48. Yeah. Uh, this game we wrote in a limited time span. Um, a limited hour... And so we, we made this game, and it was really fun. It was really fun to do that. It yeah. was really fun to just be like, yeah, what we're doing now is writing a game. It's our, that's all that's happening. Mm -hmm. You know, I worked really hard to make sure that I would refuse any other attention-seeking things for the entire weekend, mm -hmm. and successfully refused all attention-seeking things. I was like, nope, what I'm doing is making a game. It was really fun to be immersed in that process, which is not a thing I normally get to do. I have, you know, other work that prevents me from immersing myself primarily in game making. But we did the game, and, and then I sat down to try to work on that game. Mm. And I became confused because I had all these grand ideas for what I wanted that game to be eventually. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't sure whether I wanted to rewrite the engine of that game to fit these grand ideas, or whether I wanted to produce a version of that game that I thought would be fun to play now. Mm -hmm. rather than a year or two or seven from now. Right. And the result of me being confused by that while simultaneously being excited about programming is that I just picked up the code from the game we have been working on for a long time that I had taken a bit of a break from. Various things in life had prevented working on software projects for, I don't know, three, six months, something like that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you stop working on something, whether it's a programming project or probably anything else, you stop working on it and you become confused. And you're like, I don't know. Can I even start again? Should I start from the beginning? I don't know how anything works. And so I, I was confused and I had like poked it. I probably like opened up the code and changed some lines probably every week. But I hadn't done very much and I had mostly been baffled and not felt like I was doing anything useful. And then I sat down and I had like four hours on a Sunday and I sat down and I wrote code and it all worked and it all did things. And that was the real lesson of the game jam, which mm -hmm. was you can sit down and be confused by code, but if you just start writing it, you're gonna figure something out. And I spent a lot of time during that weekend pacing back and forth in this kitchen, but then I'd stop pacing and I'd be like, I don't know, I'm just gonna start writing things. Mm -hmm. And then I would look at the, the set of things I wanted to have happen and it was, it was confusing and mm -hmm. it would be like a bunch of abstract ideas in a list. And then I'd, I'd be like, I don't know. 
I want there to be a shift that flies from place to place. So, okay, I'll just make some physics around the ship. Mm -hmm. It's going to have to go somewhere. So there's going to need to be some physics. But that every confusing task was, in fact, I could just break it down into these things. Like, I felt completely overwhelmed by a lot of the programming tasks over that weekend. Like, mm -hmm. over and over again. What I did was look at the, the thing I was trying to do and be like, I have no fucking clue how to do this. And I only have, like, hours to do it. So mm -hmm. it's basically hopeless. <laughs> and then I just start writing code. And then at some point I'd be like, I think I'm done. Like, I think I did it. <laughs> I don't really know. Right. They're going to play and see if I did it. <laughs> yeah. It's always funny when you write a bunch of code and are like, I think this will work. I think this might work. You're like, oh, it didn't work. Hold on, let me fix that. Yeah. Uh, okay. That's, and there's a bug log. And that process so. lasts essentially forever. Mm -hmm. But then sometimes you get to it and you're like, Oh, wow. Suddenly the code ran. Why did the code run? Right. And it might not do exactly what you planned, but you can see what, you know, something goes backwards. Right. And you're like, oh, I forgot a minus sign for left at one point. Right. Which I do all the time. Sometimes I don't even really check to make sure whether or not it should be positive or negative. Yeah. Because forgetting a negative will make your code run. Usually. Yeah. The problem in game development is that sometimes direction matters and sometimes distance matters. Pro tip, sometimes you need a minus sign and sometimes you don't. Yeah. So it's funny how, how that happens. And so you wrote way more code than I did for the, right. the jam. And of course, as a programmer, I am aware of the fact that my job is to write as little code as possible. <laughs> and so I failed. But but I mean, I spent a lot of time doing things like recording the voiceover and doing art. I drew all the pictures. Well, you drew the... I drew a lot of shitty pictures <laughs> and Bryce drew some better pictures. Yeah. And I... I, all the pictures I drew, I hoped he would replace but we didn't get to it i replaced a lot of the pictures i mean to some of the pictures i didn't replace anything on the star map it'd be great if there was some really great flames coming out of the back of the starship i drew great flames we just didn't implement them i know they one are... of my major disappointments of the game jam that's funny because i don't think anyone didn't know they were flying the ship because what you did do was the particle system for the stars that's true and they tell you everything you need to know. I don't think that's true. I actually think that the indication that you're applying a thrust mm. um, really matters. Because uh. people are used to a like mapping of controls where you press a button and a thing happens. And the thing that's weird about the asteroid-style control scheme is that the thing that happens isn't your position. It's not immediately visible. It's your acceleration. Oh, um, yeah. And I think that actually having the fire coming out the back of the ship would have helped. I also, and we disagree on this a little bit, but I think that in the current control scheme, and maybe the fire will be the solution, but we should make it so that pressing down stops you instead of making you going backwards. Right. Or going we backwards. should make fire shoot out of the front of your starship. Right, that could work. One of those things will be the solution. But um, I think we're not going to have this particular discussion again <laughs> right now. We probably will have it again. We'll have it a little bit every podcast. I actually think that the backwards button should not do anything at all. That might be true. I like the idea that you must turn your ship around. It could slow you down your own really self. slowly. Uh, like I could but... apply like a really tiny force. Yeah, I don't know. It's also possible that the entire game should take place in a solar system with a lot of gravity wells. And the entire game is about plotting courses around 
strong gravity wells. Whoa, that's a whole new direction that we've never discussed before. You know, and then and then it's all about applying thrust and seeing how it happens. So you're saying that in your news, this yeah. has made it so that you've been had renewed vigor. Yeah, so I, did, I, I just sat down and I was like, all right, I'm going to make this game. I want to make a game. I don't really feel like interacting with my really shoddy code <laughs> from the game jam, although it produced a game, which is not true of any of my better code. So let's let's not be too harsh on that code. And then I sat down and I started working on this other game that Bryce and I have been working on for approximately forever. Right, which is about a solar-powered robot. Yeah. That was the, the initial premise. You are a solar-powered robot. Yeah. You have to stay in the sun or in the light. Mm-hmm. And you have to go underground mm-hmm. to find important things. And what the important things are has shifted over time. No, it hasn't. I lied. Uh, it's mostly not... It, we don't have to go into what you're doing there, but the idea is that there are puzzles to be had yeah. with how do I be in the light in the right amount of time? How do I move light to the places where I need to be? Right, so we have puzzles involving mirrors and moving platforms and lights and shadows and light mm-hmm. sources... And trying to keep your little robot filled with juice. Yeah. And there's a lot of other aspects of this game that we've bounced back and forth. But we had been working on this game for a long time. And we have both written a lot of code. Yeah. And a lot of the code that I had written was around making just a 2D platformer engine. Mm-hmm. Um, and our big inspirations for this game are in the Prince of Persia... Oddworld, Abe's... The Abe Odyssey. Games. There's two of them. Well, there's Odyssey and Exodus. Yeah, yeah. Oddworld, Abe's Odyssey, and Abe's Exodus. Yeah. Um, Prince of Persia. There's some other games in the genre. It is referred to as a cinematic platformer by some subset of people, but I think it's a dubious term. <laughs> Which ones? I don't remember. Um, <laughs> All of them? I mean, yes, Abe those games cinematic. Are, they're referred to as cinematic platformers. I promise. Oh. I promise people refer to them as that. Well, I, Abe is funny because they did a 3D animation and then rendered out all the sprites. Yeah, I won't defend the term, but Prince of Persia is definitely a cinematic platformer by some human's hmm. measure. Okay. Um, and what they mean is platformer where the physics are sort of real-ish and okay. you, you know, can't control your X movement when you're jumping. Like Mario. Um, and your jump In height is a fraction of your body height instead of a multiple of your body height. (laughs) Um, Yeah, Mario jumps like six times his own height when he's little. Which would be reasonable if Mario was a grasshopper. And clearly Mario is actually his small size when he's in the real world like when he is a plumber wherever Mm. he is he is actually his small height because he has to take drugs to be bigger (laughs) all right but he's not a grasshopper but it's his genre cinematic platformer whatever but i i spent a lot of time working on code around combining norms of a cinematic platformer with norms of a physics based platformer because one thing we wanted to do was move objects around that would occlude light or move light in various ways and and i became extremely confused by a lot of these problems which i don't think are on the docket of this podcast but i rewrote a whole bunch of code i was like oh my god i'm gonna throw everything away my base premise is flawed everything is terrible i'm gonna write a whole bunch of new code and i did and i sat down and i wrote it all and it was great and everything was working great And then I started remaking the game in this new engine, and it was going forward just fine. 
And then I just got distracted. Mm. Um, it was going forward fantastically. I got distracted. I stopped. And months passed. And then every time I'd sit down, I'd be like, I have no idea who wrote this code or what <laughs> it's supposed to do. Right. Some, some monster who one doesn't thing, like comments. One thing that I often tell people is that comments are for other developers. And some of those other developers are you in the future. Yeah, they're all you. Mostly you. And so I was like, I don't even know what all this for. But then I wrote comments. But then I'd read the comments. And I, my comments would be, you know, cryptic things like, make this work right. <laughs> to do. And I'd be like, thanks. Thanks, man. Yeah, um, I so I personally have been working on making a level editor. And I've been doing this for a long time. I have a strong interest in making levels. So I thought, oh, I'll make the level editor. And when there's two people programming on a game, it's best to divide labor in such a way that no one is writing over top of anyone else's code. And if you're using GitHub and Unity, then specifically you don't want to overwrite anyone's scene is one of the things we yeah. learned over the game jam. Yeah. I believe that that series of confusions cost us hours, many hours. Yeah, it was mostly on the at the end. I have no idea what happened. Then. No, and let's not even try to figure it out right now because we yeah. will fail because the conclusion was scenes are complicated and if you're using version control in your scenes, you will overwrite them over and over again unless you do something special. Yeah, I don't even want to have Unity open yeah. if I'm pushing code because I might accidentally click on something. Yeah, who change knows a what would happen? Ugh. Anyway, Unity is a whole other topic of discussion that I think we should push off for now. But so there are some things that I worked on that I think are pretty solid overlap between the two things. The two uh, games. Sorry, the two games. Yeah. Solar Powered Robot Game and Starbage Man. Which somehow we came up with this name Starbage Man. Which I am very happy with in like 72 hours. But in the like years that we have been casually working on the robot game, we have not come up with a catchy good name. Star Wars Man had a readily available pun. That's true. Well, or I... at least concatenation of words, <laughs> which is almost a pun. It's almost as good. <laughs> I came up with Starbage, Will added the man, and it was perfect. Yeah. You just can't pick a different name. Yeah, we have a game. We call it Sunbot. Yeah. It's a bad name. It's, yeah. I think. I think if we release it as Sunbat, well, you early podcasters will know that we're ashamed <laughs> when it happens. I don't know. I hate naming things mostly. Except, we should just get Kunle to play it and have him. I did ask Kunle about doing voice acting, and he was very excited. Oh. So. That's really good. One day, you might meet Kunle. Yeah. If you've ever been to Somerville, you probably have. Yeah, and you'll know. <laughs> you'll know that that's exciting. Yeah. The rest of you just have to believe. Think of something exciting and feel it. that way. <laughs> and you'll know that that's a reasonable feeling to have in response to what we just said. Yeah. So one thing about working on a level editor, though, is that it's not exciting. No, it involves CSVs. Sometimes it involves XML, in my experience. Yeah, so that was the thing. Um, so and, and CSVs are comma-separated values, and that phrase encapsulates how exciting they are, I think. <laughs> if you would like to separate values, and you're not sure which symbol to use, yeah. you could try comma. So I tried to get CSVs to work in Starbridge Man in a similar way to the way that I was trying to get them to work in the robot game, and they didn't. And it turns out there was a fundamental misunderstanding of how unity interacts with files that meant that i had to rethink a lot 
of things. Yeah, and it's based on the idea that if you're writing programs on a computer and running programs on a computer of an operating system that is your operating system, you know a lot. Mm -hmm. But Unity wants to be able to publish to a thousand different platforms with a single button. So it breaks everything in order to make that work. It makes everything extremely complex in order to make single button publishing work, basically. And the second part of that is good. So you might think the first part is good. The part about how everything is extremely complex and terrible. That's what we think is good. No, no, no. The the second part being that the one-click button... Oh, one-button publishing. One button That's publishing good. Yes, is we good. agree. So, complex and terrible, you start thinking, is complex and terrible secretly good all along? Uh, the jury is still out. And the answer is maybe, but maybe you don't want to release on all the platforms ever. But maybe you do. Yeah. Who knows? I yeah. certainly don't. I don't know. I'm going to try to publish on a lot of things, yeah. I think. We'll see which platforms make us money, <laughs> which is, you know, presently zero because we've never attempted to do so. Right. Anyway, so that's the news. Yeah. I think that we should probably not pick any other topics. Yeah. For this podcast. I do, however, think that we should play a video game. Yeah, and so one of the games we've talked about is Star Control 2. And I think that's the game we've, we've hit on, right? Yeah, I think that's what we're going to play. And it's an appropriate game in a lot of ways. Among other things, because when I think about expanding Starbridge Man, it is my primary uh, Mm. reference. And I played about five to ten minutes of it and died and realized that I had not saved. Right. So I had to start over again. And And, I... And you gave up because you're a grown-up man in the mid-2000s. But, or the early, I mean, the the mid-century of the 2000s. It turns out... The mid-decade of the 2000 decade. (laughs) It It was 2008 or something, right? Will does not know what year it is. (laughs) No, no, when you played this. It was a long time ago when I sat you down and made you play this for like a minute. I mean, I didn't move to New York until 2010. All right, so it was in the mid second decade of the 2000s yeah and we are, i haven't lived in new york in a long time but as a grown man in whatever time it was <laughs> you, adult you time. did this thing where you were like i could play a different video game yeah because i can make those decisions about my life but had you been a child yeah. in the 90s and had this game and died, you'd be like, well, I spent $60 on it, and I have zero more dollars. And I won't have any dollars to buy a video game for another year. Right. So I'm going to figure out how I fucking play this game. That's a problem with birthdays. (laughs) They only happen once a year. And that is the fundamental difference between your response to this game and mine, is grown-upness. Yeah, that's probably true. I want to play it, and we've talked about story a lot, and having recently gone back and edited a lot of the podcasts, I know how much we like to talk about story. Mm, Which is some. It's some in every podcast, for sure. I have an interesting question for the future. Okay. Which is, should you have played the first game in order to play the sequel to a game? Mm. But let's not discuss. In this case, no. Uh, In this case, no. Let's go play Star Control. Two. Two. Not the first one, which has no story. Okay. But it's not called that when I found it to download. It's it's called the Urquan Masters because of trademark disputes with, or not disputes, but trade, you know trademark law accolade owed the trademark to the game but the developers owned the source code so they released the source code but they couldn't release the name it's a really great game it is by a team of developers fred ford and paul ritchie the third and since i don't believe you about it being a really great game i don't believe you about the second part either all right and you should play it whether or not bryce does well i'm going to play it 
That's the whole point. So I'm going to play this game, and then we're going to talk about it uh, in the future, which will probably be a week from now. But knowing how quickly I edit these podcasts, it might not be exactly a week. Years or hours. One of the two. I got a little time. All right, so I have a list of things to remember that says, remember to say our names. Mm. I'm Bryce. Yeah, and I'm Will. And this has been Side Quests. And if you have any questions or comments you would like to tell us or have us talk about on the air, or it's not the air, but on the podcast, yeah. you can email us at contact at sidequestspodcast.com. Sidequests is plural, just in case you're wondering. Sidequests podcast. So there's multiple side quests, a single podcast, and it's a dot com. Yeah. All right. And you can email us at contact at all that, and maybe we'll answer you. All right. <laughs> all right. So we'll see you next time after having just played the Urquan Masters or Star Control 2, depending on uh, when you played it. When. All right. See you next time.